Private Lender Podcast, Episode 70. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Friedrich Nietzsche, who said, I was in darkness, but I took three steps and found myself in paradise. The first step was a good thought, the second, a good word, and the third, a good deed. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Hey everybody, coming to you from the energy capital of the world in my hometown, Houston, Texas. I'd like to welcome you to the Private Lender Podcast, the best place to be if you're looking for practical, old-world, no-nonsense tips and advice on becoming the bank and a successful private mortgage lender for real estate investors. I'm here to help you step out of your comfort zone and expand your knowledge and help you gain experience in the real estate investing arena by becoming a private lender to other investors. And if you have golden handcuffs, meaning that if you have a job that pays you too well, you're not going to quit, keeps you comfortable enough, and you realize that you're not going to become the next famous rehabber on TV, then you're in the right place, my friends. My name is Keith Baker, and I'd like to welcome you to episode number 70. And uh, today's special, or today's episode is special in three particular ways. And the first way is this is my first recording since returning home from my big London trip, uh, which has seemed, it seemed to have gone very well. Uh, while I was there, I had planned to record at least four episodes because I was there for a couple of weeks, almost a couple of weeks. But unfortunately, um, work got in the way and I got to pay those bills still. So just now getting back into the swing of things back in the studio two and trying to you know get my bearings on all the software and recording stuff again. So it's lucky for me, not so much for you. It's lucky for you, number two, or it's a great episode number two, because I needed to get an episode together and published very quickly. I'm behind schedule with my post-production team. So I'm not going to be able to get an episode out to them where they can you know, do all the auto ed- editing and put together the show notes for me. So here you go. Unfortunately, there will be no show notes for this episode, but if you listen, you're going to gain a ton, a ton of knowledge because the third reason this is a special or episode or a treat is you're about to hear the first ever Private Lending Academy class or event, which was held at the uh, Quest IRA now Quest Trust Company on March 27th of 2019 and this was a it was it was better than I thought it was going to be lots of information about title and title policies and what's covered what's not what you can do as a lender and also as an investor really good information um <clears throat> excuse me the I called it the private lending academy hosted the event or the podcast hosted the event but the person who taught the class and who brought the real value is uh, a lady who gets a, a big uh, big thank you, and it's Wendy Bryan from WFG National Title. As you're going to hear, Wendy does a really good job, I mean, a fantastic job of breaking down title commitments and policies, clauses, exemptions, exclusions, and gives you a solid background into the mechanics of title insurance and why, as a lender, I always insist on having a lender's title policy. Otherwise, that's a deal breaker, and I will not fund the deal. So, I could go on rambling probably a little too long. I just, I'm excited. It's about a little, little over an hour, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, so I just want to jump right into the class and let you listen to Wendy drop some knowledge. And I really hope you find this useful and beneficial. Enjoy. 
Thank you for coming out. Welcome to the uh, first class for the uh, Private Lender Academy. Tonight we're going to be talking about title commitments and title insurance. I've got some friends from Valero Title uh, here to do that for us and to answer some questions. Everybody hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Everybody hungry and tired? Yes. Excellent. Good. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming out. Um, I'm Keith Baker. I'm the host of the Private Lender Podcast. That's how you can get a hold of me. And I'd like to say thank you to Mr. Brandon Cottingham. Number, episode number 51, there was my guest uh, right there. And on Monday, Miss Josie Anderson I'm from Valero Title will, will be the featured guest on the podcast as well. Those come out early, early Monday morning. So thank you guys for coming. And we're about to get wrapped or kicked off. Just a few things. Uh, in case you haven't figured out, the restrooms are just straight down that hall in case you got to go. And um, plenty of snacks, water, whatever's in the fridge is free game. So help yourselves. Uh, accordingly, and um, yeah, I want to get to it. So, uh, title commitments. I don't know how many people are well versed in title, but as a lender, it's very important, especially as a private lender. It's one of the risk mitigation things that we use in title insurance policy to help keep our investments safe. So, figured why not have a class on it and, and don't get too deep. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. What you need to know, and kind of give you the the rules of thumb. Um, that you should have in your back pocket as an investor. Just curious, is uh, anyone here a private lender already? No, nobody. Awesome. Well, talk to me later. I might have a little cash. Well, how about uh, how about rehabbers? One rehab. Landlords. Well, all right. So, what else? What does everyone else do? <laughs> Just curious. Wholesale. Okay. They're in for the right. They're in for the right. Yeah. Are you guys uh, active investors? Realtors, okay. Okay, perfect. Any more realtors? Okay, great. Well, welcome. Welcome. Let me one more time. Let me plug privatelenderpodcast.com and give it, tell your, uh, tell your clients. Anyway, so without any more uh, jibber jabber from me, let me go ahead and bring up Wendy Bryan. She's an underwriter at Valero Title, Title, and an underwriter is the person that actually looks at everything and decides yes or no, and this is why. So please, Wendy, thank you and welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Did that pick up my voice? Do I have to hold it closer to my mouth? Okay. So my name is Wendy Bryan, and actually I work for WFG National Title Insurance, which is represented by Valero Title. So what that says in a whole lot is basically I do title insurance on a wholesale level, and Josie at Valero Title, she's my retailer. So she's the one that will actually talk to you guys her staff will actually look at stuff, and when they come up with something and they go, hang on, I don't get this. What do I do about it? Then my phone starts ringing. So I am an old closer. That is my claim to fame. So um, there's there's a lot of gray hair up here, and that is because I have I started out in the title business typing policies, and I was either really good or really bad because they moved me out of that department really fast, but they did keep me. So um, I've been, I've, I've pretty much sat in just about every chair that you can sit in at a title company, and um, then I got into underwriting. And so that's really what I do is a lot of consulting. We look at problems and issues that come up, and we go, how can we make this work? Because come on, who doesn't want to buy or sell a house, and it's not going to be stuck forever, so let's find a good solution. But part of my job is to protect the policy, right? That policy is an insurance. 
And what that insurance is, it's not really a guarantee or a warranty. It's an indemnity statement. It says if something goes south, we're going to make you whole. In order to file a claim, you first have to suffer. So my job is to prevent suffering. Okay? So now we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about title commitments because that's the first step in this whole process. If you have questions, stop me, ask a question. If it gets too granular, I may say, hey, we're going to have to pull that off to the side and talk one-on-one on about that. But if it's something that's I can address and it leads us into the next topic, we're going to do it. But I'm going to try to get you out of here in about an hour, okay? I am a title geek. I nerd out over this stuff, so I get really excited. There may be a couple of rabbit holes we go into. That's okay. I'll find my way back. Trust me. All right. So title commitment. What is it? It is the thing on your checklist that says, I've got to have this in my file before I can do anything else, right? Yes. So it is a purveyor of information. We go through, when I say we, I mean the title company will go through and they will scour through all of the county records and they're going to look to see what is of official documented notice to the public about that transaction, about that property, about the buyer, about the seller, anything that could happen in the course of this transaction and thereafter. Okay. So we're looking at the facts. That's all we care about is the facts. There's always a good story behind it, but we're looking for facts. And what we do on this commitment is we make a promise. We say that we, at the end of this, if you do all the things that we ask you to do on this title commitment, then we're going to issue a title policy. And it makes you feel warm and fuzzy and life is good. I'm telling you. But that title commitment actually tells you what's covered. And it also tells you what it's not covering. And so it's really important to take a look at that and see where your risk is, whether you're an investor lending money or you're an investor buying property. Whatever you're doing, if you're a realtor and you are walking your buyers and your sellers through this whole process, it is important to know the facts and how that affects this transaction and how that affects your buyer and your seller, right? Because that's all about referrals and getting the next deal. So as a purveyor information, as I said, we go and we scour the county records and everything that we put together goes on to a very specific form. It's called the T7 form. Very important. I'm kidding. (laughs) What's important is that we can only put it on that type of a form because we're regulated by the state of Texas and the Texas Department of Insurance. If you go to other states, they're going to use a totally different form and all the notes that you take today are not going to apply. Okay? Because it's going to be a totally different form. So we only use forms from Texas Department of Insurance, and that's going to be a T7 form. We're going to look at the real estate property. We're going to look at the buyer. We're going to look at the seller. We're going to look at deeds. We're going to look at judgments, bankruptcies, divorces. We're going to dig into some personal stuff about the people that are involved in this transaction. And we're going to look at it, and we're going to say, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and take a risk. And we're going to issue a policy. And it's a contract. If you do this, 
then I'm going to issue this policy. It's kind of like if you think about you have a teenage son and he says, Mom, Mom, I got a date, but I need to borrow the car. And you go, well, okay, I'll loan you the family car if you're back by 11 o'clock and your room is cleaned up and you have all these conditions. And then you say, and by the way, you're not allowed to leave the city of Houston. So now you've got exclusions. And if you get a speeding ticket, all bets are off. So you've got exceptions. Okay. So you've got requirements. You've got exceptions. You've got exclusions to this agreement. But there's that verbal contract. This is actually a written contract that says, we're going to look at this property, this transaction, these buyers and these sellers, and we're going to cover, we're going to, we're going to provide a title insurance policy that's going to protect them. If you can clean up all of these items that we found of record and we're taking exception to, we're, we're not going to cover these things because you already know about it and you want the property anyway. Essentially one big ball. That's a commitment, but I got to talk for another 45 minutes. So we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. Okay. So as I mentioned before, we're governed by the Texas department of insurance. If you talk to anybody in the title business, if you want to strike fear, make them kind of stand up a little bit straighter, you, you utter these three letters, T D I. And we'll go, oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It is a, it is a kinder, gentler, more friendly uh, department. Actually, they rule everything that we do. They tell us what forms we can issue. They tell us what the cost of a title policy is, what we can and what we cannot charge for, how we can apply discounts. They tell us everything that we are allowed to do. So if you close at Valero Title, your title policy is going to cost the same amount as if you go down the street to XYZ title company. Okay. So if somebody says, I've got a really great sale going on on my title policy, it's not, it's don't believe them. Okay. There are other things that title companies can compete with, but when it comes to the title insurance premium for a policy, everyone charges the exact same. It goes on the exact same form. It is the same coverage. TDI is really important. Um, they actually look and they evaluate how we work and how we affect the consumer. And one of the things that we always look at is their best interest. They are always looking out for the best interest of the consumer. And so when we're examining title, when we're looking at what the risk is, we remember that our job is to prevent suffering to the consumer. So that's one of the things that we do whenever you, you might get a messy commitment and you go, do I really have to do this? Really? What's the risk? The risk is somebody may suffer. And then not only do we have to, do we have to pay out a claim, but we also have to answer to a department that says your job is to prevent suffering. So that's, that's why we look at a title commitment really, really closely because we don't want to see those claims happen. So um, one of the things that I love to point out, in no event may any policy endorsement form contain coverage not expressly authorized by the rules of the State Board Insurance State of Texas. That means we have no control over a lot of things that people ask us to do. 
If it is not in the rules set by Texas Department of Insurance, we cannot do it. So there you go. So who is this commitment actually for? If you're working for a lender, if you are a realtor, if you're an attorney, it's going to be on your checklist, right? I've got to have a title commitment. And so it's on the, but what is it really for? Because I promise you, I promise you the majority of people that get a title commitment, they're going to, your, your buyers, they're going to open up the envelope and they're going to look at this stack of papers and they're going to go, oh, wow, I might need this one day. And they're going to close it back up and they're going to toss it in a stack or in a, in a desk drawer and they're probably not going to read it. And so it's really important that you take a look at these things because it actually is for them and it's actually for the lenders. Because there's two different types of policies out there. There is a loan policy and there's an owner's policy. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit. Since the commitment is a, is a contract and a promise that we're going to issue a policy, let's talk a little bit about what a policy does. So when you're a lender, okay, we got some people that are interested in being investment lenders, right? So you're loaning money out. And how do you know that you're going to get that money back? You file a deed of trust and you file it a public record with the county, right? Well, you want to make sure that you're first in line in the event that they ever need to foreclose. Let's say your buyer decides that they really don't want to pay their mortgage payment every month and it goes on for three or four months and you're going, okay, I'm tired of giving you another chance. We're going to foreclose. We're going to start foreclosure. But then what happens whenever you look at the records and somebody else is already in line in front of you. Maybe Chase or Wells Fargo or some other lender. Let's say a taxing authority is in front of you in line and they've already foreclosed. What happened to that money that you borrow, that you lent out? You're not going to get it back unless you have a title policy. That title policy is saying you are first in line. Okay. So you, it protects your ability to foreclose on that borrower. As a lender, that is what's so important to this. You go to foreclose, somebody else has foreclosed in front of you, there's been a lawsuit, something, all of a sudden you don't have the ability to regain that property, then you get to file a claim and say, hey, I'm suffering they haven't paid me my mortgage. I tried to foreclose. I'm supposed to for be able to foreclose and it's gone. And then that's when the title company steps in and says, okay, you filed a claim. Let's start working on this. As an owner or a purchaser, what that does is it says you've put X amount of money into this. And if somebody files a lawsuit or um, there's a lien that wasn't disclosed to you, and it's threatening your right to that property. Let's say somebody knocks on the door and says, who are you and why are you in my house? And you're going, I didn't buy the house from you, but this is mine. And all of a sudden you're saying there was a fraudulent deed out there somewhere. Then you have a right to a claim. You've suffered because all of a sudden somebody else has the right to your property. That's when you get to file a claim. So does that make sense about what a policy actually does? Okay, good deal. A lot of people don't understand that. They just know, oh, okay, I'm getting a policy. But they never know what it's for. 
So it actually protects everyone in the transaction because once, once an owner has a title policy, even after they sell the property, let's say somebody shows up and said, and files a claim or they, they're actually suing the new owner of the property and they trace it back and it happened before you even own the property. Guess what? That policy still protects you as the seller, as the old owner. So that, that policy protects you as long as you own the property and then even after that. Okay. But it only protects you to the amount of the original liability. So we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. The other cool thing that TDI does, even though on the new closing disclosure statement, it says the owner's policy is optional. The Texas Department of Insurance says any time a loan policy is issued in a transaction, we must offer an owner's policy to the buyer. It is a requirement. And so if you have a refinance or a home equity transaction, we actually have to have that homeowner reject. No, I don't need a new owner's policy. Okay. So in the course of a transaction, when you're going, well, that's a whole lot of money because they've got to pay for the owner's policy and they've got to pay for the loan policy. Well, we've built into our rates that Texas Department of Insurance has set out for us that there is a special discount on the loan policy and they actually only pay for the owner's policy in its entirety and they pay just an extra $100 for their loan policy. Kind of a cool deal. But they have to do it at the same time. You can't go back later and just pay $100 more to get your owner's policy. It has to happen at the same time. Yes, ma'am. That is a great question. I'm just going to repeat it because I know that this is being broadcast. So the question was, does this also apply in a, in a owner finance transaction? Yeah, it does. It actually does. So you're getting a loan policy that protects the, the, the lender. Okay. And the borrower also can get that owner's policy. Absolutely. All right, so what's the cost of a title commitment? Unless you are the Department of Transportation or FDIC, the OTC, RTC, there is no cost to produce a commitment. There's not going to be a price tag. You don't pay for it up front. Okay? But here's a kicker. We cannot do this on a prospectus. I think I want to go take a look at this property, but I'm not sure I'm really going to have somebody buy it. It has to be a bona fide deal. It has to be a real order. TBD does not exist in our world. And that's written in our rules. So there are some people that will actually go out and produce a commitment that says TBD. And they are hoping and praying that nobody catches that in an audit because that is strictly prohibited. It has to be a bona fide transaction. There are other products that can be produced. So somebody can do a listing package. You can ask for um, the past deeds. You can have a search done. And there's a price that comes with that. But for actual full commitment, 
There is no cost on that. So we do a whole lot of work before we're ever paid for it because we don't get paid until the policy is issued. Okay. So the commitment is good for 90 days and it's good from the time that it's issued for 90 days, but we're going to update it a lot more frequently than 90 days. Because what we're saying is we're going to the courthouse records and we're looking for everything, everything that could pop up regarding the property, everything that could pop up regarding the buyer or the seller, right? So how frequently do people file documents? Every stinking day. So in 90 days, you can have a bunch of stuff show up and that's going to be a risk for you. It's going to be a risk for us. So we're going to update that pop, that uh, commitment pretty frequently. Um, there's two dates on a commitment. One of them is the effective date, and one is the issue date. Sometimes they're exactly the same. Most of the time, they're different. So what that is, is your issue date is the date that the examiner takes a look at everything, and they go, okay, I'm complete, we're done, I'm going to hit print. I'm going to hit save. We're going to send it out to everybody. That's the issue date. The effective date is the date that all the records were updated at the courthouse and coinciding with the title company's records. So you think, well, okay, that, sh that should be the same day, right? So back before e-recording, back way back in the day... <laughs> We had situations where we would take a document in to be recorded and the county clerk would look at it, review it, stamp it as when they received it and the time that they received it, and it would go on a stack because they had to physically index it and put it into the records. And that stack could have been about this tall. And it could have been like five or six stacks. And you might have been three weeks from it actually being recorded in the official records. They've received it, and they're going to record it in the order that they received it, but it hasn't been made public notice yet. And so if you think about it, how many other documents were in those stacks of papers that could have applied to your property in your transaction? And so that effective date gets a little scary. So we want to make sure that we're as current as we possibly can. But that's why we have an issue date and an effective date. E-recording has been fantastic. It is wonderful because now we submit it electronically. And typically within a matter of minutes, it is recorded a public record effective. And so our, our dates are very, very current. Typically they are same day as long as we have updated records from the courthouse. So went a little deep on that one, but when you look at those two dates, you want to look at the effective date and the issue date. Okay. And again, I mentioned um, if you're working with the Department of Transportation, they actually do get charged for their commitment, but it's credited back at closing against the cost of their policy. So it's basically a down payment on the evidence that they get reimbursed at the time of closing. Okay. Same with FDIC, OTC, and RTC. Unfortunately, we haven't had to deal with those in several, several, several years. All right. So we've got elements of a commitment. So we've got the jacket, and that tells you uh, what's covered, what's not covered. 
It's the very basic information. It's promulgated. It is going to be the same in the state of Texas, no matter where you go. That title commitment jacket, the only difference on it, the best one out there, has this little logo, and it has three little Cs on it. It says WFG, National Title Insurance, on it, because that's me, okay? I, I have the best product out there. I'm just saying. Um, but that's really the only difference when you go from title company to title company or underwriter to underwriter. On that jacket, the only difference is who signs it and what logo is on there, Okay. Then you're going to have the Texas title insurance information form, and it's going to tell you very briefly basically what you're about to read. And actually, it's telling you what you're about to stick in the file drawer and never really open and look at it again. Just kidding. Okay. Um, there's a bilingual notice of how to file a complaint against a title agency, the title company, and the underwriter. It also tells you basically what what you can do and what you can't do. So it is there to protect you. Remember, they're looking at protecting the consumer, the best interest of the consumer, the taxpayer in the state of Texas that pays for government entities like the Texas Department of Insurance. All right? Okay? You're going to have a deletion of arbitration. We'll get into that a little bit deeper into the material. And then your schedules, A, B, C, and D. And that's typically where everybody jumps to because that's going to be really specific to your transaction, okay? All those other things that listed on the screen, the one through four, that's the same. No matter where you go, you're going to have that. Those are required items that have to be included, but they're promulgated language. Okay, so the jacket. Like I said, you want to be sure you look for this lovely logo right here. This is this is the most important thing. I'm kidding. So kidding. Um, but not really. Um, <laughs> this is specific to Texas. Like I said, this is a T7 form. If you see something that says Alta, then you need to say, I'm sorry, I, I, I need the real form because we can't issue Alta forms here. If you're talking to um, an, a realtor from out of the state or a lender from out of state or a buyer or seller from out of state and they go, I'm looking for my prelim or I need it to look like this, they may be looking at an ALTA form. This is the form they're going to get in Texas. Okay. It identifies the underwriter. Remember, that's me. Okay. WFG. All right. And it briefly uh, explains the terms of the commitment. Um, the policy will be issued once the conditions are met. Um, it tells you what the, how the premium has come up with, the specific exceptions, general exceptions, exclusions, conditions, and stipulations. If you can't sleep at night, pull out the jacket. It is the perfect remedy to insomnia. It really is. Okay? Important thing, it has to be signed. Just kind of funny that way. Okay? If the commitment is not signed, call your closer and go, can you send me a, a signed copy? I need an official copy. I need the official signed one. Commitment has to be signed. So second part in there was the Texas title insurance information. One page explanation of title insurance because one hour here is not enough. You need one more page, okay? Um, it's going to tell you minerals, they may not be covered on, on your title policy. More than likely, they won't be. We don't cover the minerals 
in all transactions. If you want to talk about minerals, then we'll have a conversation somewhere else, some other time, because that goes way deeper than I have time tonight. Um, it talks about the difference between exceptions, exclusions, and requirements. Tells you how to contact the Texas Department of Insurance and the options that are available on an owner's title policy. Your lenders, you have the ability to have endorsements. Your owner's policy, you have the right to have endorsements or additional coverages as well, but you have to let us know that you want those or let us know that you don't want them. Okay. It's all about what your risk analysis is, what you're going to do with the property and where you think you need additional coverage. Okay. Deletion of arbitration. Whenever you find that multi-million dollar property and you're going, okay, this is the one. This is the one. Okay. It's $2 million. The liability. Oh. So it's more than $2 million because anything under $2 million it automatically, the policy automatically allows for arbitration. Okay. That means if there's a claim you suffered, you want to file a claim, then in the policy, it says you're allowing for arbitration. So we're going to settle and we'll let you know how it comes out. If you say, no, 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 I want the deletion of arbitration. I want to have the ability to actually file a lawsuit and fight for it, you have the ability to do that. But you have to sign this form and send it to us. Yes, sir. Is that an option or is that standard once you hit that threshold and just go to arbitration, those option goes away? Or is it even though I'm hitting my threshold, I can still decide to take it to arbitration? It is an option. It is, it is built into, the arbitration is automatically built into um, the policy. Okay. So it doesn't matter where it is, but at the $2 million or less, it automatically allows for arbitration. When you start getting to the upper levels, then it changes. But that arbitration is always there. Um, but you have that ability to say, no, I don't want to arbitrate. And all you have to do is sign a form, send it to the title company, and they, get, they need to have it before they actually issue the policy. Okay? No cost to it. Pure and simple. Schedule A. This is where we're getting into the fun stuff because this is specific to your deal. And this is where it's really important for you to take a look at it because let's face it, you know the property a lot better than I do. I'm on the other side of the state or I'm sitting in an office behind my desk. You've actually been to the property probably. You've actually talked to the people probably. And you know a lot more about the information. And so what you're going to do is look at your contract, your agreements, your buyer name, your seller's name, the sales price, if there's a lender, if you are the lender, what that loan amount is, and the property description. Those are pretty critical pieces that are going to show up on that Schedule A. These are the facts of the matter that we're researching. Does that make sense? Pretty simple. So this is a sample of what a Schedule A looks like. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And as everyone is scribbling down your notes, I will. I do have the slide deck and a PDF. I will be more than happy to email that to everyone. Okay. All right. Now that you've used up all of your paper and just no, I'm kidding. Okay. 
So this is a sample of what a Schedule A looks like. All right, this very top one, this is where it gets a little, it might get a little fuzzy. So you have two owner policies, right? There's one that says it's a, T, a form T1 and one that says it's a form T1R. So that's the distinction between a residential policy and a non-residential policy. Is there a house on it? Is it vacant land? Is somebody living in it? Is somebody going to live in it? Is it a storefront? Is it a farm or a ranch? And this is where it gets really tricky. Who is buying this? Is it a real person or is it an entity? Is it an LLC or a trust? Because if it is an LLC, a trust, an entity, something, a, an entity that you cannot reach out and touch, it's only on paper. You understand what I'm saying? Then that is suddenly you only qualify for a non-residential policy. That's a T1. If you are a real person, breathing, talking, walking around, rolling around, whatever, then it's a T1R. As long as it is in a platted subdivision, it is a house, it is residential. Clear as mud? Awesome. Okay. So the difference on that, the price of the policy doesn't change, but the price of endorsements and some of the coverage changes. Okay. Your loan policy, the form T2, that's typically 90% of what we see is going to be a T2 in a purchase transaction. Sometimes we'll see a T2R. T2R means that it is a residential loan, okay? Residential property, residential loan, real people that are actually borrowing, and it's going to be a short form, what we call a short form. If it's non-residential, it's going to be a T2. If you're the lender and you want the maximum coverage possible, you want to have the ability to see everything and anything that's struck through it, you're going to want a long form, and that's typically what we see. Okay? Is that T2. Same exact coverage, same exact price. It's just laid out just a little bit differently. Okay? Yes, ma'am. Correct. Thank you very much for pointing that out because I jumped past that. So in this transaction, this sample transaction that we have, we've got James M. Stevens. That is our buyer, our purchaser, our borrower. Okay. So that's what we're comparing to our contract. And the sales price is this $109,500. Okay. So we want to look at the contract and make sure that that policy amount is the same as the sales contract. We want to double check and make sure that our buyer is the same guy that's listed here. Okay? When we get down here, we're looking at the T2. We're looking at the policy amount is going to be the amount of the loan. That amount changes, I know, on a daily basis some days. Okay, so we'll have to, we get to update that number every time that you get to update that number, right? Proposed insured, that's going to be your lender name. I put, put in here Big City Bank and Trust. And the proposed borrower is James M. Stevens. Most of the time, this guy's name is going to be the exact same here. 
as the, as your purchaser. There are times when it's different. There are a lot of times when you have, let's say you have a non-purchasing spouse. So you've got a husband and wife, they're going to go in title, but only one of them actually qualifies for a loan and their name will be under proposed borrower. So sometimes it'll be different. Maybe you have mama and daddy buying the house for junior and they're actually taking out the loan. If you can work that out, then there you go. That's how that's going to be different. Okay. If you're actually working on a construction, then that form T T13, that's for your construction binder. And then there's other policies as well that I've never seen, quite honestly. What you're going to see are going to be the owners and the loan policy. Okay. Any questions on Schedule A so far? Awesome. Um, Okay, so as a realtor, you know the borrowers, you know the the sellers, you know the property, the lender, the sales contract amount. You need to double check this guy, the sales contract amount, the loan amount, who the lender is. That's the thing that you're going to look at on this part of, of Schedule A. Good point. Good question. Yes, sir. Yeah, why is there a section for total purchase price and a section for just the loan? Because that's actually two different policies, okay? So the contract is going to protect the owners for the amount that they have put into it, okay? So they agreed that this property is worth $109,500. The lender is saying, yeah, it's, it's probably worth that, but we're only going to lend them $90,000. So if there's a claim... Against if the lender files a claim, the extent of their coverage is limited to this ninety thousand dollars. If the owner files a claim, let's say there's a full failure of title, it's a sad day. I'm really sad because you know we're we're having to pay out. We're gonna have to pay off the balance of that loan, and then whatever is left out of the one hundred and nine thousand five hundred dollars, we've got to pay out. To that borrower. We had full failure. So we could be, we'll be paying out $109,500 one way or the other. The money that that borrower has put into it and the money that the lender is still out of. Okay? The balance of whatever that loan is and then the difference goes to that, that borrower. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so a binder. Okay, so this is for your interim construction. This is when you have a builder that owns the property and they're taking out a loan in order to build on it. What's important? The builder and the owner of the property have to be the same person. Okay? And this isn't a full policy. It's only good for a year and you can get extensions on it, but it says for the time being, we're good because you're only getting lent the money in pieces as a construction project is going on. Right. And so that's why it's on a totally different form because it doesn't protect them forever and ever. Amen. It only protects them during the course of that, in that construction project. Does that make sense? Okay. Was your CMD the same? C and D are two different forms 
One is for a long form, and that's going to be any type of property. A lender can get it on a, on a residential property or on a non-residential property. This residential form is only good on residential property. Okay? All right. So this is also on Schedule A. And it says the interest in the land covered by the commitment is fee simple. So what the heck does that mean? That means basically from the ground to the sky. Okay? That's fee simple. 90% of the transactions you're going to see are going to be fee simple. What are some differences? If it's a leasehold. Okay? Condominiums. If you're buying a condominium, you're not buying the dirt. You're buying the air between the walls of that condominium. Okay? So that's where it's going to be a little bit different. Number three, record title of the land of the effective date appears to be vested in, and I've got in here Suzanne Smith, a, a single woman. That should be your seller. If it is not your seller, stop, raise your hand, say, no, no, wait, I've got a question. Why is my seller different than this woman on this piece of paper? This is what's recorded a public record, and we're not going to change it because, oh, no, 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 this happened, and we just haven't recorded the deed yet. No. It has to be recorded in order for us to change that. So we've got some people that are going in. They're buying houses. They're rehabbing them, and they're flipping them, right? So what happens whenever you've closed on the transaction and you're getting ready to flip it, and the documents haven't recorded yet? that name is not going to have your name on it. It's going to be the person that you bought it from. And we're not going to change it until it's recorded as a record with the county. That's a hard, fast rule. Okay? So if that name is not who's on your sales contract, raise your hand. we got a problem. Okay? And then this last thing is really important, the legal description. That's the official record of this is the property that's going to be conveyed. We can't do it based off of a street address. Now, we'll, we'll start there, but the effective commitment has to have that legal description. If you have a tax ID number, you go to the appraisal records, and you've got numbers that, that is so super incredibly helpful, but it's really important that you look at that legal description. You go, yes, this is everything that we are conveying as far as the real estate records go. Close the transaction once, and it was really exciting because it was a $200,000 transaction, which we were going, yay, because this was a long time ago. And when we actually looked at it, we had a, a claim on the file because <clears throat> we, we conveyed the boat ramp. We didn't check that legal description and include the entire house and the boat ramp. It was in two tracks, and we only included one. That was an uncomfortable day. That was a bad week. Okay, it lasted a little bit longer than that. But the point is, you need to double-check that legal description. Make sure that what is being conveyed is complete and put in here because guess who else works off of this commitment? Surveyors work off of it. Your attorneys that drop documents to be recorded as of record with the county, they work off of this. And so everybody is working off of one piece of paper, and we've got to make sure this one is complete. Okay.
Schedule B. This is the fun one. So when you say uh, this is the exceptions to the policy, a lot of people will go, exceptions? Oh, they're cool with this. I accept this. I'm accepting of your friendship. No, no. That's spelled A-C-C-E-P-T, right? This is spelled E-X-C-E-P-T-I. That means... We are covering everything except these things. This is where we're backing out. We're saying these things are filed of record with the county, and we're letting you know about it, and you still want the property anyway. Okay? We're giving you notice. These things are there, and you're going, that's cool. I'm willing to take the risk. I'm okay with it. Okay? So these are things like your easements, your building setback lines, there's a pipeline that runs through the property. Um, it's just going to be things that show up. They're filed of record. Um, so the first things that show up on the on Schedule B, those are promulgated. We have no control over them. They will always be there. There are changes that we can make to them, minor changes, but there's they're always going to show up there. Restrictive covenants, they're going to show up at the very top. Those are important to look at. And then again, any easements, anything of record is going to show up and be listed very specifically on Schedule B. Remember, this is where we're saying, this is what's out there and you still want it, right? Okay. So this is a sample of Schedule B. So the very first thing is restrictive covenants. If you are in a subdivision, if you, even if you're out in the middle of the country, you can still have restrictions that have been filed in the deed records. Okay? A lot of times they're hidden actually in a deed. And so we actually have to read all of the deeds to make sure we've got it covered. But we're telling you that on this particular transaction, all the recording information of the deed restrictions. So that's where it says you cannot paint your garage pink. You have to have... Um, St. Augustine grass in the front yard. I don't know. But these are the restrictions. You are prohibited from raising pigs in the backyard. Okay? Those are your restrictive covenants. And you're saying, I'm aware of the rules, and I'm okay with it. Because we're telling you where you can find it. In fact, if you really want to read them, and you've got a commitment, then you probably already have a copy of them that they're actually... A lot of times they'll hyperlink them in the document and you can just click on it and it takes you straight to the, the covenants. Or they'll actually have a copy of the restrictive covenants attached to the commitment. Okay. The other thing that we can change. So this, this is specific to your property. There are some times that there's no restrictive covenants. Okay. So it could say none of it won't say none of record. It will say none found. <laughs> this item is hereby deleted. So that's some language that you'll see if there are no filed deed restrictions. Okay. The next item talks about shortages in area and the property and what comes onto the property and off of the property. So let's talk about surveys. And I'm just going to touch real briefly on it because I can talk for about two hours on surveys and I'm not going to do that tonight. Um, let's say you've got a piece of property and you go, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing 
2.53 acres of land I've ever seen. And all of a sudden, somebody comes out and they look at the property and they go, oh, guess what? It's not 2.53 acres. It's only 2.48 acres. And you're going, well, wait a second. I just lost land in this deal. Not covered. Okay. This is an exception. We do not ever, ever, ever ensure shortages in area. Okay. That's a very sad story. You'll get over it. <laughs> okay. Cause we're not going to cover the shortages in area, but there's other exceptions here where it says any discrepancies, conflicts, or any encroachments and protrusions or any overlapping of improvements. Now, if you got a survey in the course of this transaction, and it's a good survey, and we look at it and we go, yeah, we're, we're good with this. It's been signed. It's been sealed. It's, it's current. It's accurate. It's on the property that you're selling or that you're buying. We'll take this survey. Then you can actually pay, if you're an owner's, to have all of this language removed except for shortages in area. We will always leave that in. Always. If you're a lender, okay, pay attention to this one. If you're a lender, you can request that coverage and you get it for free. Okay? So if you're a lender and you have a survey in the file, that's part of the rules. We must have a survey in our file that we've approved. Then you can request to have that additional coverage for free. So for a lender, we're balancing out what the risk is. What are the chances that there's going to be a claim filed by a lender that violates their line in, in progression to foreclose because of a survey issue. It's a slight chance. So that's why we don't charge for it. TDI says, give them the coverage. Okay. Just, just, just take care of it. Now, if you're an owner and you own this property and let's say there's a retaining wall, and a she shed in the backyard. And your neighbor says, hey, that's my she shed. And you go, no, that's not my, that's not your she shed. That's my she shed. Right? Because everybody has a she shed now. Now that it's on all the commercials on TV. Okay? And you have this fight and you enter into neighbor wars over where that boundary line is. And you get out your surveys and one of you is going to be right. And one of you is going to be wrong. And that's going to be suffering for somebody. If that somebody is you, then guess what? You've got an active claim. You just suffered. So there's greater risk because you may have been great friends with your neighbor when you first moved onto the property. And then they moved. And now you've got the other guys that they want my she shed. And so you've, there's greater risk there. That's why we charge for the shortages in area coverage. That's actually an exception. It's called survey, survey exception. Um, that's why we charge on an owner's policy, but not a loan policy. There's greater risk to a claim on an owner's policy than on a loan policy. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so this shortages in area, 
that part will always remain in the policy. If you're getting a loan policy, so a policy that protects the lender, there's no charge for that. Yes, let's say my client is buying a property. Mm -hmm. The survey is old, and a new survey is done and shows some challenges to what happens. With the new title commitment that my client, the buyer, is going to get, are those challenges going to be corrected and covered? No, no, they won't. So the question was, the borrower thought or the buyer was, was thinking that they were going to get the 2.53 acres. And when the new survey was drawn up, it turned out that it's only 2.45 acres. And they want to know, is there any type of coverage that will protect them from that loss of land? And there is not. That's why you want to do this before the transaction actually consummates so that they can go, oh, wait a second, this, I'm, I'm missing the best part of the property. I'm missing the creek that runs, th the river that runs through it, right? And so at that point, they can take their option and say, I'm backing out. It's not worth it to me, okay? So it's all about that disclosure. But at that time, when they back up, they are going to pay the title company for the survey. Correct, because the survey was still done. Yeah. But then they're not buying that property. I know, it's a sad day, isn't it? It is a very sad day. <laughs> They've already spent the money on the survey, and then and then they're not going to get the property. It's very sad. Okay. Yes, ma'am. The term of the policies? How long? As long as the land exists. Yes. Okay. What happens if the title company closes? If the title company closes, then they go to the underwriter because I'm actually the one that holds on to the paper as the underwriter. And if I go out of business, then you go to the Texas Department of Insurance because any policy that's been issued, they protect it, and they assign that to another underwriter. That's why the very first, in the very beginning of the documents, you get how to contact the Texas Department of Insurance. Because if that company's gone out of business and the, the title insurance company, the underwriter has gone out of business, then there's somebody else that will hold on to that paper. What's the likelihood of that closing down? We, the last underwriter that shut down, it shut down. Um, Southern Title was in, I want to say, the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, we have title companies that close down every year. not following the rules or they're not making money or they want to retire and nobody's going to buy it. And so they just close their doors. So it's a matter of business. They just shut down their business. But as an underwriter, if they, if they sell my product, you know, because I have the prettiest commitment jacket out there. All okay, right. Right. WFG member asked for it. Um, tell your friends. Um, <laughs> then, I'm the one that's responsible. And if I go out of business, then Texas Department of Insurance takes control over all of my files and they assign it to somebody else that will take care of it. Remember, Texas Department of Insurance, they answer to the consumer, to the taxpayers. That's our taxes pay, pay their, their wages. And so they're looking for the benefit of the consumer. They're not going to leave you high and dry.
All right, so four and five, these are very, very standard. Four talks about riparian rights. It talks about um, waterways, navigable waterways. If there is a creek that runs on the edge of the property and all of a sudden there's a flood, then what typically happens to the creek bed? It gets bigger, right? Guess what? You just lost part of your real estate because of erosion. And guess what? We don't cover that. Okay? That is an exception. We cover everything except when the water flows and changes the boundaries. Okay? Yes, ma'am. When you say you don't cover that, when they bought the property for X amount of money, yes. so if anything happens and they finally claim, I think that should they be getting the X amount of money, the sales price, or, or whatever they, they lost. Whatever the loss is. They have to suffer a loss. But when you say that you won't cover that, are you going to resurvey the land and say, oops, you lost uh, half an acre, so we're only going to pay you? <laughs> no. Because, because what we've done is we've issued this commitment. Okay? We've issued this commitment. We've said, these are all the things that we do cover, and these are all the things that we don't cover. And you understand that, and you're okay with it, and you want to buy it anyway. So you are aware of all the facts that we're aware of, and you're still willing to take that risk. So all I'm saying is that you pay them the money regardless of what is lost, or are you going to recalculate we will, we will cover to the amount of the liability amount of the policy up to that amount. Okay? All right. So then the last exception down here, this is all about taxes. We're picky about taxes. We're not going to, we want to make sure that the taxes are paid because that is probably one of our number one claims. And so during tax season, and when I say tax season, I'm talking about October, November, December, January, because, you know, the county taxes have to be paid by the end of February for the prior year, Right. Unless we have a tax certificate, and I mean a certificate, not just a printout from the website that says that the taxes are all paid and clear, then we're going to collect them. Even if you can't, I, true story, as an old closer, sitting in closing, couple comes in, they're super excited because they're refinancing their transaction, and they just came from the tax office, and they wrote a check to the tax clerk for their taxes so they didn't have to pay it at closing after I told them, don't do that, because we have to pay taxes. They had to turn around and pay a check to me for that same amount so that I could ensure that the taxes were paid. Sad story. The week before, somebody else did that to one of my coworkers in the office next door. And when that happened, she said, okay, I'm not supposed to do this, but okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let it slide this time. They put a stop payment on their check to the tax office. And we had to go be a collection agency because, holy moly, that's a claim. That's a big deal. When we talk about claims and um, taxes, just remember, county, U.S. government, city, those all take priority. If you are a lender, pay attention to this. IRS 
and your county will jump in front of you in line. Make sure those taxes are paid. Do not cut corners on that. Those are called super priority liens, and they are a big deal. And probably one of the biggest reasons we have claims. Okay? So, guess what? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I was just asking a question uh, about holding bonds, things of that nature that are set up by the uh, by the state, by the city, by the county, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, how does that work versus like a creek versus a river versus those type of things? And I apologize for not managing uh, everyone coming in, but I just wanted to know your take on that because I know for a fact that by my neighborhood in particular. It flooded <clears throat> after Harvey. It flooded all the apartments, flooded the gated community, those type of things. But in the sense that they have a, uh, a holding pond that you know is set for water, my, my initial thought process being as that I do what I do. But my, my point being that if you know there's a holding pond there, you would never want the first floor apartment, right? Because if it overflows, those type of things. But at the same time, there's a gated community of, you know, $500,000 houses right next door. So I just wanted to get your take on that as far as the government versus title versus all those things is specifically because I had at least 15 houses in a 30 house community that was gated that were all flooded. So I just want to get your take on that. I apologize. No, no need to apologize. So you've got situations where you have flooding and you have community property. You have property that is owned by, by a, an, an, a subdivision or a group of communities or it's owned by the city itself. And when you're looking at the taxes and, and what's actually getting paid for and how that, that is affected, should the government pay for that? You've got to remember that when you talk about the government, the government is funded by every single person in this room. And so if you say the government's going to pick up that bill, that means your taxes are going to go up. Okay? So everybody that wants to point the finger at the government, I'm cool. I'm with you. But you're pointing the finger at yourself because you are the taxpayer and you are funding that. So in order to make that change, that is something that um, I would recommend that you get active in your local community, in your government, go vote. There's uh, legislation at the state right now. We're in active legislation season, season, and there are several bills that are talking about property taxes and the ability to go up on your tax rates and what that's going to pay for. And that's where that comes into. It's, it's really not a title company position. As far as what's right and what's wrong, all we can do is say, this is what we have, and this is what we've got to take care of, and we've got policy owners that we've got to protect. So I feel you. I hear you. I pay my taxes in Rockport, Texas. We had landfall three times before it moved over to over here. Um, so it's, I, I understand. My heart goes out to everybody that's having to deal with that because I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> totally there with you. Um, so I don't know if that really answered your question or not, because I 
It does. At the same time, I have a, a very quick follow-up question. Mm -hmm. How does it affect in the sense of what you guys do? Um, and again, I apologize because I came in halfway through, but how does it uh, set up with what the government has done versus the land with the, uh, with the, you know, the groups that basically said, don't, don't ever build south of this street, that type of thing. And then you guys give them titles, and I'm not saying you guys in particular, no, anyone no. giving titles to that group of people. Because I know for a fact that all six or all 30 groups of families were trying to say, well, it's because of <clears throat> X, Y, and Z that, that, that they weren't able to get anything back and they were having to pay for it out of pocket. Gotcha. Okay. So what happens in these situations is we, we actually look at if there's, if there's a claim file, that means that there's, there's issues going on. We don't control the weather and we don't, we don't cover anything basically from the time of the transaction happens forward. We're ensuring history. Right. Okay. And that's of the public records. So we do a lot of times we work with governments because let's say you've got property that's been in your family for generations and all of a sudden you can't do anything with it because it's underwater. And so a lot of the municipalities, the state, there's a lot of governmental bodies that are going in and they're offering buyouts to your property so that they can do something else with it because it's not habitable. In those situations, they do contract with us and they get a title policy to make sure that who they're buying that property from is really the right person that they should be negotiating with. So we do issue title policies to the state of Texas. We do issue title policies to the city of Houston. We do issue title policies to different governmental bodies that are looking to take on properties that have been distressed, that have gone through bad situations, and they're not habitable, and they never will be. They're in a flood zone. They're underwater. They can't do anything with them. So we do cover the insurability, meaning that they're buying from the right parties. But we don't actually insure the condition of the property, and we never will. Okay? Um, let's see. Exceptions? You actually have to, you know, complete the terms and conditions of the transaction creating the interest in your land. Funny, huh? Okay. Um, so these are, these are the exceptions saying we're going to cover everything except these things, right? And I'm, I'm talking long and I apologize. Okay. And then after number 10, everything else that we find of record is going to show up. This is where your leases, your pipelines, um, building setback lines, anything that when you got your survey, and it had all these lovely lines and numbers and words written all over it. And it said aerial easements and it had underground cable. It had all the different things that they located. All of that is going to be listed on this exception because we're saying we're making you aware that these things are on your property and you want it anyway. Okay. There is a pipeline that runs through the middle of your property. You're aware of it. You're okay with it. You're going to go forward since you know about it and you're cool. Then we're not covering it. If there is a loss because of that, 
It's not a covered claim. Okay? Schedule C is us backing out saying you're aware of these things, so it's not covered under your policy. Schedule C, this is your to-do list. This is your checklist of things that you need to get done. Okay? First four things are always going to show up. They're promulgated. State of Texas says we have to do these things. And actually, they're very logical. They're things that we do to actually complete the transaction. The buyer actually has to pay the seller the contracted amount. Go figure. Okay? Um, item five and on, that's where you need to dig in and find out what's going on. Okay? So I already said, first five, first four, they're standard. Five, um, this is a very clean commitment. You're going to see there's a deed of trust. What does that mean? You got to pay off. We got to take care of a lender on the property. There's a lien in front of you and we got to take care of it. We got to take them out. Okay. Um, then we start talking about things that we require. We as in the title company to be signed at closing that helps protect us. A homestead affidavit, a marital affidavit, um, uh, the deletion of arbitration, um, what we're searching for, we just, it's all of our to-do list. Like I said, this is a very, very, very super clean commitment. We're going to get into some fun things, okay? It talks about the shortages in area that we already talked about. You actually have to pay for all the taxes. Um, and then Schedule D, that's who gets paid, okay? It talks about the underwriter. That's me, remember? Me, favorite underwriter here. Um, the title agent, that's going to be Josie in the back of the room because she's awesome. <laughs> okay, so they are the, the, the agent. Okay, so not a real estate agent, but a title agent. And then it's going to tell you the proposed cause, cost of the uh, insurance. Okay, so this is the, the top of a lovely Schedule D because it has that beautiful logo up there. Um, but it talks about who, who actually owns, who are the real people that own the underwriter, who's on our board of directors. So you know that there's a real person behind all of this. Then under section two, it's going to say Valero title, right, right here. It'll say Valero title company. And where it says directors and officers, it's going to have their owners. So it's going to have Melvin Brookins and Josephine Vasquez, and it's going to have all the owners of the title company and the board of directors there listed. Then it's going to break it down. Remember when I said that the Texas Department of Insurance says you can only charge the same amount for a title policy no matter where you close in the state of Texas because we control how much it costs. So in this transaction, the owner's policy is $928, but guess what? They got a loan policy at the exact same time, so it's $100, okay? They're not paying the $928 twice. They're paying it once and then $100 for coverage for the lender, and then there's the endorsement. Those are extra coverages for either the loan or for the owner's policy. Comes to a grand total of $1,203 for all the research that's been done, for putting the paperwork together, for putting together the settlement statement, for actually performing the closing, then getting all the documents back to the lender, getting it filed of record with the county, and then issuing a policy. All of that for the low, low price of $1,203. You can't beat that. Okay. So here's the deal. And the, yes, sir. If we act now, is it cheaper? Absolutely not. Actually, okay. So I'm, spoiler alert. We're under, 
We are actually going into um, a, a, a session with the Texas Department of Insurance, and we are we are actually coming forward and saying, you know what, life has been good, real estate has been good, property values are going up, and all of our our premium is based on the value of the property, right? We're taking a pay cut, essentially. We are proposing a cut to our premiums. How cool is that? So it's probably not going to happen for another year or so, but we are, we are expecting a cut in our title premiums. We have technology that makes our job a little bit easier. We're becoming a little bit more efficient. We're having, there's, you might have heard about blockchain. There are things that we are doing that makes our job a little bit easier. And instead of falling under scrutiny of outside parties that say, well, this isn't right, we're going to go ahead and be proactive and say, you know what, you're right. We're going to take a hit on our premiums. So actually, this is a low, low price. It's It, it will get a little bit lower. But remember, it's going to be proportional to the sales, sales price and your property values. Okay? Here's the deal. Out of this total $1,203, 15% gets paid to the underwriter because we're the ones that actually hold the paper. And if there's ever a claim, I'm the one that steps up. I get 15% of that. And I put that off into a bank account. And I hope and I pray that nothing goes south. <laughs> okay? 85% goes to the title agent because, let's face it, they did a whole lot of work to get this deal closed. They did all the research. They talked to you. They talked to the buyers. They talked to the sellers. They coordinated. They put together a settlement statement five different times in one day because everything changed, right? They're emailing. They're communicating back, and they're doing the curative work a lot of times. They're walking you through the transaction to make sure that this deal gets closed, and it gets closed where there's no suffering at the end. Okay? We take care of the hard work so you don't suffer afterwards. They get 85% of this low, low price of $1,203. But here's the deal. Let's say they have Valero title. They're licensed here in Harris County, Fort Bend County, um, Montgomery County. They're licensed all over. Let's say you've got a transaction in Alpine, Texas. Okay? They don't have a title plant in Alpine, Texas. How are they going to search the records there? They're going to call their buddy in Alpine, Texas and say, Hey, Susie, I got a deal for you. I'm, I'm working with these people, but I want to close this deal, but I need help. I need you to give me title evidence. And so out of this $1,203 and the 85% that they get to keep, they're going to share that with the other title company and they will be listed here. And it will tell you exactly how much they are paying out of that $1,203 so that they can get that deal closed for you. Okay? So you're working with more than just one company. And that $1,203 gets spread really thin. Okay? So things can go south really fast. And we're going to go really fast through these. Because I just got the, I got the sign. Okay. So you're looking at your commitment. You're looking at your commitment and you're going... Okay, this looks normal. Okay? Except for it says a subdivision in Travis County and in Hayes County. Is that a big deal? Not really. It happens all the time. 
that you need to be prepared for your closing cost. Because guess what? You get to record all your documents twice. Okay? So, because it has to be a public record in both counties. And guess what? Get ready to wait just a little bit longer for your commitment because they don't search it in one county. They have to search it in both counties. So be prepared. If you see that it lies in more than one county, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for your commitment to make sure it's complete. And you're also going to be prepared to pay whatever your recording cost is, double it. Okay? You see this type of legal description. You're going to go, oh. Okay? So this is a really, really long Exhibit A. I've had them go on for pages. I've had them go on for two or three reams of paper when you have multiple tracks. So the trick is you got to make sure it's complete. So you want to look at it. You want to say, you know what? You got a copy of your old title policy. Let me compare it and make sure we've got the full legal description. Because remember that, that transaction where we insured a $200,000 boat ramp? Didn't insure the house? It's because we had a really long legal description. One of the pages fell out. Oops. Okay. So make sure that when you're looking at your commit, your title commitment, that you've got a good, complete legal description. Not really a big deal. Okay. So on this one, if you're looking at your schedule A, you're going, okay, fee simple. Okay. My seller. Oh my goodness. Somebody died. Okay. Because the vested, the person vested, is an independent executor of an estate of a deceased person. Do you know this already? If you know this, then you're probably cool. If all of a sudden you're going, wait, 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 I didn't know anybody died, then you've got more questions to ask. You need to go back to that seller and say, okay, okay, who is this guy? Who am I actually buying this from? Has Is there a will? Has it been probated? Has the judge allowed us to sell this property? You need to start asking those questions sooner rather than later. When you're dealing with dead people, there is a long process. Okay? So these are things you want to look for on your Schedule A. You've got a copy of a contract up at the top, and we're comparing that because that's what we're supposed to do when we get our commitment, right? And so we're looking. We've got Jeremy and Felicia Brown, and they are buying. Oh, no, wait. Uh, the seller is Jeremy and Felicia Brown, and James Stevens, the seller, is the buyer. Okay? I'm getting all this all mixed up. And I go down here, and I'm going, wait a second. This says my seller's name is Suzanne Smith. Am I going to raise my hand and go, wait, 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 wait? Am I on the right file? Did you give me the right commitment? Did you search the right property? Or do I have a different seller than who I'm negotiating with? Those are things that you want to stop and go, wait, stop. We need to figure this out before we go any further. Because we get to closing and Suzanne Smith doesn't show up. Instead, we've got this guy showing up. We're not going to close. Okay. Okay. We're looking at our Schedule C. This is not a big deal, right? We got a vendor's lien. Okay. So we've got a payoff. Uh, we got an abstract of judgment. Uh, we might have a little bit of a problem here. We've got bankruptcies. 
We've got dead people. We've got some issues going on in this file. Is it possible to close this? Yeah. But you've got to be prepared for it. The sooner you look at this and start asking questions and digging through it, the faster it's going to go, the better it's going to go, and we can get it closed. But this is part of our requirements is we've got to get this straightened out. And that's where your work comes in. And you're going to do a lot of communicating with the title company. And they can't always do all of the steps, but you have to get involved in it. And that's why it's important that you know what you're looking for. Okay. I am completely and totally out of time, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. What else can I help you with? What kind of questions do you have? Was this helpful? How are you going to send this data presentation? The presentation, I have it in a PDF form. If they email me, I will be more than glad to send it. Get with Josie and get with Keith. Yeah, we have, uh, you signed in, we have your email address, we'll send it out. Oh, uh, fair enough. Josie, we'll send it Yeah. Yeah, I'll we'll get it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Guys, was this helpful? Did you get something out of it? Worth it? This uh this is the first class that uh the Private Lender Podcast is gonna put on. So um, again, uh one more shameless plug and uh privatelenderpodcast.com. Basically, just real quick, I know we're gonna wrap this all up here, so you guys have been patient and Wendy, thank you so much because uh don't go away though, because um, we need to talk about um a few lender coverages and endorsements that I um that I think I should know about as a private lender and, and someone who teaches people how to private lend. So that this is the whole purpose of this is I don't know everything. I you know I'm a Quest client. I do 95% of my private lending out of the uh, my, my wife's IRA because I have no money. It's her IRA, but uh, <laughs> she's gone now, so I can make fun. It's okay. Uh, I, I just get a beating when I get home. That's all. But anyway, I do a lot of it out of Quest. I know a lot of you guys are realtors. I want to thank you all for coming out. And uh, if there's anything, if, any questions. Keith at PrivateLenderPodcast.com. Josie's got a, a Valero title. She's got cards out. Go see her. Also, um, the big thing about Valero title is they don't have junk fees. And they do mobile notary, e-signing, e-signature, all that stuff. They make it easy for you. And last time I heard, Josie, correct me if I'm wrong, Valero title is investor friendly. Yes, sir. Okay. So there you go. Um, there'll be another Private Lender Academy class May 29th. I'm thinking about getting three lawyers up here and have them duke it out into a little blood sport and do a little debate on deed of trust and promissory notes. So, uh, And if you would, Wendy, I'd love to have you come back and do a class on the, t- uh, the surveys as well because as a lender, I've, I've, I've run into some issues with um, a garage. Or wasn't a she shit. It was a very sad he was a shit. And uh, it dilapidated to say the least. So anyways thank you guys so much for coming out we'll get the uh, if you sign uh, the list we'll get the pdf of the presentation out to you and listen to the private lender podcast and there you have it the first ever private lender academy sponsored by the private lender podcast <laughs> a little redundant but private lender academy class on title commitments and title policies i want to thank uh, my friend josie anderson at valero title for introducing and make uh, to me to me, introducing me to wendy and making all this happen and we were able to coordinate. Wendy uh, goes around to a lot of different uh, title companies doing um, you know, business development, education, and whatnot. And we were able to, to time it where she was in Houston and could do the Quest event or do a classic Quest for the podcast. So 
really hope you guys took notes on that, except unless obviously you're driving or running, but uh, go back episode number 70. I really do apologize that there is no uh, transcript uh, or show notes for this, or not like you're, you're probably accustomed to, because I am, I'm putting this one old school together all by myself. Again, um, my fault, not yours, but just to give you a little reason, but I, I really wanted to put something of uh, tremendous value out there. And I think this really, uh, on top of the other episodes and things we've I've discussed or people I've spoken with, I think this is a, a hell of a piece of content to put out there. And it is all for free. All I ask is that you please tell somebody, pass it along, let them know about the private lender podcast, whether it's, uh, you know, just for every episode, if, if you, if you found some value, tell one person, even if it's your coworker who you don't like, that'd be great. I would really appreciate that. Um, cause you could you know, spread the word for me. So, and usually if somebody recommends something, you know, um, yeah, you get, you know, anyway, not to get all human and psycho Babylon, you, but yeah, anyone, just tell anyone, just please spread the word. That's all I ask. Uh, the only price I ask for you to, to pay, uh, no money, but just spread the word. Uh, my, my ratings seem to be improving, uh, which is a very positive thing. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And those of you who have already been spreading the word, those those of you that have already reached out to me and connected with me, thank you. It's been a, it's been a hell of a ride, uh, and I've enjoyed speaking and emailing with uh, with all of you. So, with that, I will bid you adieu, and I will wish you happy and prosperous private lending and all types of investing, but especially prosperous and safe private lending. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time. I've got 99 first world problems, and I'm grateful for everyone.